This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hello and welcome to Savor Production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about fish and chips. Yes. <laughs> Very exciting. <laughs> it is. Uh, a shout out to writer Dave Ruse and the editorial team over at HowStuffWorks.com for publishing the article that inspired this episode. Yes, that's always a really nice thing because other than listener suggestions when we're trying to pick a new topic – Sometimes we just get bogged down in all of the options. The possibilities, yeah, yeah, they're huge. And we get on these, we get in these like sort of like ruts where we've just done, you know, like like an herb like lavender. Mm-hmm. And and I'm just like, all I want to do is re- read about sage. But exactly. we can't turn this into the herb podcast because that's just a different branding matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm, I'm sure that a few of y'all would not be into it. <laughs> a few. But there would be a lot of puns. There'd be a room for a lot of puns there. Oh, gosh. Herb Your Enthusiasm is a t-shirt that is available in our online store. It is. tpublic.com slash saver. One of our favorites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was also in part inspired by the fact that Lauren and I, as we've mentioned, we were recently in Orlando for Podcast Movement 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's a podcast convention. Yes. But we stayed a couple extra days in Orlando because we're nerds and we wanted to go to theme parks. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And part of the way they convinced me to go, like in the original email, they said, Annie, will you please come do this thing? Also, you could stay the weekend and go to the theme parks. I, they didn't even give me a chance to uh, say they know yes, you. no. Like, this yeah. is how we'll get her there. <laughs> and um, yeah, we went to Universal, aka in my book, The Wizarding World of Harry Potter. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I rode the new ride, and it was amazing. So amazing. But anyway, more <laughs> importantly to this show, we ate at the Leaky Cauldron. We did. We did. Uh, it, was, it was a lovely lunch, and one of their options is... Fish and chips, mm-hmm. and there were there were a lot of people with British accents. I don't think that we're putting them on like actual families from there. Yes, uh, in the park that day, and one of them in line behind us were they, they were investigating the this visual menu, mm-hmm. and <laughs> the mother stopped and very suddenly said, "Wait, do, is this what they think people eat like in Britain?" And that's like that's like Pinky's voice. I, my my accent is terrible. I'm sorry, but um, <laughs> but like it was just such a moment of like of like confusion and yes. slight offense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, it was I was just I felt really really lucky to uh, to witness it. I do too. And then the there was a young boy in that party as well, and he said, <laughs> "I can make better fish and chips than that." <laughs> This was before we'd even ordered any food. I just want to say, we're waiting in line to order the food. I understand. But, (laughs) um, and I mean, I feel like to us it might be obvious, but maybe not to everyone. Everyone, it it is a huge British thing. Yes. It's Mm -hmm. it's one of the, like, quote-unquote, like, national dishes, or certainly one of the, like, national, like, comfort food kind of dishes of certainly England, Mm -hmm. lots of the rest of the U.K. as well. Yeah, the first time I was in London, it was also a Harry Potter related thing. So, <laughs> I was there for other reasons, but I I, I believe you entirely, Annie. <laughs> thank you for the support. <laughs> I was going to the Half Blood Prince premiere, and long, amazing story short, I accidentally got to go into it and see oh. it. I just wanted to like see the Wave actors, at people. yeah. But I got huh. to go in, and um, I got soaked, and it was hailing because London. Sure. Um, and I went to the fanciest fish and chips restaurant and there was this candle at my table and I was just hovering over it for warmth. <laughs> and that was my first fish and chips. Oh, well. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, was it was it very fancy? Was it good? It was very fancy, but for everyone out there screaming at the, at whatever listening device you were hearing this through, <laughs> I did go to plenty of other establishments like dive bars and regular restaurants, so I've had a variety. That okay. wasn't my only. Okay, you've UK. you've had the like the the like chippy like paper cone yes. like fish and chips experience as well. Absolutely, that's good. I'm not totally positive that I had fish and chips when I was in England. I did eat more than one meat pie per day, of course. But um, but I'm not. I can't remember. Oh dear. I think I must have had. I must have. I feel like you must have. It's hard to escape, honestly. It, it is. I know that I had mushy peas, and I know yeah. that I had chips. I'm, I'm forgetting whether I had... Anyway, okay. <laughs> and another last side fact I have before we get to our question. <laughs> um, I did... A British friend of mine came to visit me for Dragon Con, big nerd convention coming up. Um, he came to visit me for that, and he stayed with me. And he wanted to go. There's a British-themed pub there. <laughs> uh-huh. And he wanted to go. And he ordered the fish and chips, <laughs> and he said his his consistent what his consensus was, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I thought he was going to be a bit more judgmental, but yeah, yeah. I guess I mean you know, yeah. you that, deep that area is very touristy. Is why I was kind of suspicious, and the fact that that it's like in a mall. Sure, um, sure. You deep fry things at a certain point, it's going to be delicious. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah. That's true, and. We have done an episode on fries slash chips. Uh-huh. We've done one on cod. So now <laughs> it's time for fish and chips. Yes. But it brings us to our question. What is it? Well, 
Fish and chips is a dish of fried fish and fried potatoes, both generally cut into long, thick strips. Uh, The fish will be generally some kind of white, medium-firm, clean-tasting fish, most commonly cod or haddock. Uh, Fillets cut very thick and then battered and deep-fried until they're tender and flaky and encased in this pillowy flour crust, or sometimes a pleasantly grainy cracker or meal crust of some kind. Uh, The chips are what Americans would call French fries, long, thick wedges of potato deep-fried until just pillowy soft on the inside and crisp and golden on the outside. Both are salted after frying, and the uh, the result is a filling stick-to-your-ribs comfort food, uh, crunchy and soft and rich and fatty and carby and, oh, craveable. Very craveable. Mm -hmm. Yes, this was a hungry, hungry research episode. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. There are, of course, of course, a lot of preferences at play when it comes to fish and chips. Mm -hmm. Cod versus haddock, salt and vinegar, pickled onion, ketchup. Curry sauce. Uh, The ketchup thing is apparently considered a bit of like a hipster millennial thing. Y'all write (laughs) in if you have opinions. Ketchup is hipster now? Well, in England— Everything's hipster if you look at it through a certain lens, I suppose. As a fish and chips dipping sauce, it's like that. That's off the beaten, y'all. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, please write in. Apparently, John Lennon liked them with ketchup, like a lot of ketchup, <laughs> enough that people wrote about how much ketchup he was eating on his fish and chips. Huh. Mm-hmm. A man after your own heart. It's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah, so many, so many options. Uh, what type of flour for the batter? Is there beer involved in that batter? What kind of oil do you fry it in? How thick the fillets? How thick are your chips? Do they have skin still attached? Uh, do they come with a side of mushy peas? So many options. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Apparently the Chinese serve this dish with sugar. Um, please write in about that as well. And in Belgium, with mayo. Of course, yeah. According to Scientific American, beer batter is superior Okay. Uh, because of the carbon dioxide bubbles and, and the foaming agents present in beer, like naturally present. It's not like people are usually adding that kind of thing. They usually come in on the hops or on other grains. Anyway, um, yeah, but the same reason that beer forms that like frothy head will mean that when batter containing beer hits hot oil, it creates uh, this this lattice of bubbles in, in the forming crust, making the resulting fry light and fluffy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can also order your fish and chips with scraps that is the the little bits of fried batter that wind up uh, oh. uh, sporing off in the fryer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and uh, <laughs> I wanted to put in here the chip shops. Yes. Uh, use so many puns. I have a list. Are oh, you ready? I'm so excited. Okay. Uh, actually, a lot of these I think you suggested <laughs> for the cod for the episode. episode. <laughs> that episode had many <laughs> puns. Many puns. Sometimes I'm frustrated because I know only one will make it as the title. Ah, yeah. Yes. Uh, okay, so, are you ready? Yes. The Codfather. Criminally good fish and chips. <laughs> Is mm-hmm. their subtitle, yeah. Uh, Codfellas. Oh, my cod. The almighty cod. Codswallop. <laughs> New cod on the block. Oh, yeah. Frying Nemo. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Oh, my gosh. Friend Chips. For your fries only. Fishgotech. Oh, <laughs> my heart is swelling with warmth. This industry is ripe with <laughs> puns, and I love it. People love lean it. in hard. It's beautiful. It really is. It really is. What about the nutrition? Uh, you know, it's a lot of fried. Yeah. Uh, if you consider a standard portion of fish and chips to be six ounces of fish and 10 ounces of chips, which is like a large fry in American terms. Um, You're looking at about 1,000 calories, which is probably half or more of your daily intake and um, upwards of 50 grams of fat, which is about 80% of your daily recommended intake. It 
does have a good punch of protein and a smattering of vitamins and minerals. Adding a side of mushy peas helps there a lot and with a little bit of dietary fiber. Um, it is, I mean, it's a meal that will indeed fill you up and keep you going, but it's on it's on the heavy side. You know, you should also eat vegetables at some point. Yes. Mm-hmm. I yeah. feel like it's always deceptively filling. I look at it and oh, think, oh, yeah. I'm going to polish this off, no oh, problem. Oh, no. Like halfway in, you think. Oof. Yeah, usually like halfway through one of those giant pieces of fried fish. I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything anymore. How did I get here? It's it's one of the foods that's been singled out by uh, by British governmental health agencies for portion control in, in helping with the obesity epidemic. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like just, you know, like like five ounces of chips instead of 10, you know, yeah. small fry instead of large fry, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. We do have some numbers. Oh, gosh, we do. And a lot of these come from, in one way or another, um, the National Federation of Fish Fryers, <laughs> which is a real thing in the UK. Um, like, if you run a shop or a chain, you can join for a yearly membership fee that goes to a number of fish and ship-related interests. Um, you can also get training and equipment advice for running your business. Do you think they show up to meetings in fryer rolls? <laughs> Please tell me that's true. I, you know, if they don't, I hope someone involved is listening and will put in the suggestion and that this comes to beautiful fruition. Me too. (laughs) And please send pictures if it's not too secretive. Oh, yeah. Because once you start dressing as a fryer, it feels like a level of secrecy has been added. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to be all up in your fries. Mm. Yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> so fries, this dish is a really big thing in Britain. Yes. Yes. Winston Churchill dubbed the combination the good companions. Mm-hmm. As of 1999, 300 million servings of fish and chips were sold in Britain, which comes out to six servings per person on average. This is an annual. Um, the country boasts over 8,500 fish and ship shops. That's so hard to say. It's like one of those... <laughs> I don't know what those tongue twisters, huh? Um, and so that's eight times the number of McDonald's, and that makes it the most popular takeaway food. Mm-hmm. Fish and Chips won out two surveys conducted in the UK, named as the most national of national icons. And Fish and Chips Friday is a thing? I'm like, Catholicism? I Does don't that have guess to or, so. I don't know. And let, let us, is, is it like Taco Tuesdays? Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. More recent numbers put fish and chip establishments at 10,500, but the sale of takeout fried fish a bit lower, 229 million annually. That's fifth after burgers, Chinese and Indian, which I'm a little curious about that pairing, but okay, Um, chicken, and then pizza. One of the reasons for this is the increase in the prices of haddock and cod, the two preferred fish for the meal. Still, more than half of the adults in the UK visit a fish and chip shop once a month or more. 22% 22% eat it once a week. 80% go at least once a year. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Um, fish and chip shops don't just sell this dish, though. They've broadened to encompass other fast food takeaway options like uh, meat pies, uh, fried chicken strips, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fish breakdown. Um, 62% of the fish in fish and chips is cod. Mm-hmm. 25% is haddock. The fish and chip market in the UK is worth 1.2 billion pounds and employs 61,000 people. 25% of potatoes in Britain end up in chip form. Also, 30% of all white fish is sold as part of this dish. Wow. Love it. So it's a juggernaut. It is. It, it is. is. But how did it get here? Well, we'll tell you. But first, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Mm-hmm. 
This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer-founded, queer-run, and creating size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies, so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. To get to the history of fish and chips, you kind of have to take it in parts. Sure. Mm-hmm. As we skirted around in several episodes, the potato. Ah, oh, potato episode forthcoming. It's going to be beautiful. Yes, because we've done latka, we've done <laughs> fries, but not the potato yet. We did sweet potato, didn't we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. The potato probably arrived in England from the New World in the 17th century, Perhaps with Sir Walter Raleigh involved? <laughs> As we discussed in our French fry episode, the Belgians or maybe the French probably came up with the fried potato in these strips. Although it probably happened in different forms in different places around the same time. Sure. Yeah. Interestingly, as we discussed in that episode, um, the, the, the French fry, fries episode, yeah. Exactly. Potentially, um, as a substitute for fish is how it happened um, when rivers froze over. Right, yeah. So they would might even cut them in fishy shapes. Yeah. <laughs> and now you can have your fish and your fries and eat them too or something. Yes, uh, but deep-fried potatoes aren't thought to have really taken off um, in England until the 1800s, possibly as late as the 1860s, after a whole lot of, of uh, war and uh, a couple a couple like blights upon crops happened in France and Austria, and that popularized the potato and its fried form there, and then it had some time to trickle out to other culinary scenes. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Fried fish, meanwhile, was introduced to London's East End by Spanish and Portuguese Jewish refugees fleeing at the end of Moorish rule in 1496. Yeah, so what happened here was that um, Sephardic Jewish populations had been living on the Iberian Peninsula, Spain, and Portugal since about the 8th century. Um, But then when the Spanish Inquisition came along in the 1400s, they outlawed Judaism. A lot of those peoples fled from Spain to Portugal. But then the Catholic Isabella of Spain married Portuguese King Manuel I in 1496, as Annie said, and she insisted upon the conversion or expulsion of Jewish peoples from Portugal, too. Some folks stayed and continued practicing in secret, but there was definitely an exodus of sorts to the rest of Europe. And, uh, of course, they brought their culinary traditions along with them. Mm -hmm. Frying fish specifically might have been a way of cooking and preserving it on Friday days so that it would last through the end of the Sabbath, which in Judaism is sundown Friday through sundown Saturday, and during which you're not supposed to do any work, like like cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, a British cookbook author in 1781 referred to the Jews' way of preserving salmon and all sorts of fish. Mm-hmm. After visiting London in the 18th century, Thomas Jefferson wrote about eating, quote, fried fish in the Jewish fashion. In some chippies, you can still get fried fish uh, or fish fried in, in matzah uh, meal rather than flour. In Oliver Twist, Charles Dickens mentioned fried fish warehouses. And at the time, vendors sold fish from trays strung around their necks, um, also more likely to be served with baked potatoes or bread. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. As for who came up with the dish itself, London and Lancashire have staked claim. Um, chips were cheap and accessible food for workers, so there's kind of that vibe to it. Um, the first Jewish cookbook that was published in the UK in 1846 came with a recipe for fish and chips. Okay. What is thought to be the first fish and chip shop in the north of England, and they all of them have like these qualifiers around. Them. Oh yeah, I <laughs> yes. love it. I love it. I do too. Opened around Lancashire in 1863, Mr. John Lee served fish and chips out of a hut that was attached to a market. It later relocated across the street and added the inscription, "This is the first fish and chip shop in the world." So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That was in 1865 uh, when that location was opened, and I believe it's considered the oldest continually operating fish and chips shop. The the name, the official name of it is the oldest fish and chip shop in the world. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Lorna and I accidentally stumbled while we were in Orlando. We stumbled across (laughs) a restaurant called, I can't remember, it was either Orlando's Best Seafood I think it was the, the world's. world's I think it was seafood. the world's. The world's best seafood. It had like two stars on Yelp. We <laughs> we got a good chuckle out of it. We got a good chuckle out of it. But that's what that reminds me of. Hopefully, this place is better than that. Um, but wait, three years earlier in London, before this supposed first opening of the fish and chip shop, Joseph mm-hmm. Mallon allegedly opened a fish and chip shop within the sound of the Bow Bells on Cleveland Street. And being born within that sound is the definition of Cockney. Thanks to Idris Elba and Hot Ones for that tidbit. I didn't know that until like a couple of days ago. Um, also, he was 13, Joseph Mallon, not Idris Elba, when he started frying up chips to help his family make more money. Ah. Then he got the idea, the genius idea, to join his chips with the fried fish from a local shop, probably selling it first from a tray around his neck. Mm-hmm. Before, Joseph was, a, was Jewish, yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm. before he was able to open a shop in 1860. So... Yeah. They they can fight it out. We don't have we don't have a, a dog in this fish no. fight. No, we don't have a fish in this fight. We, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> in 1871, the oldest fish and chip shop still in operation in London opened. 
rock and soul place. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. That is so many fish puns. I know. In a single, okay. It's really impressive. Because, oh, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Hoof. By the end of the 19th century, the dish was fairly common in Britain. At first, these fish and chip shops were largely family-owned, ran out of the front of houses, and the meal was frequently served in yesterday's newspaper to keep costs down. I've also read that the newspaper thing didn't happen until paper rationing of the world wars, but either way. Either way. A lot of places still do this for kitsch, or I've heard arguments about the taste and soaking up of the oil. But the practice of using actual newspaper without grease paper in between was banned in the 1980s due to concerns around negative health outcomes of ingesting the ink. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of places here, I feel like it's fake newspaper. Fake newspaper, It's like right. grease paper with, with newspaper stuff on it. Yeah, with food-grade printing yes, on it. Yeah. Exactly. Demand for this meal increased during the Industrial Revolution as more and more workers were looking for something quick and cheap for lunch. Innovations during this period helped meet demand for the dish, too. The steam trawler for catching fish, ice machines, and railways to transport that fish throughout the country, making it more widely available. I would say wildly. Widely available. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The lines to these shops caught the attention of Italian immigrants passing through on their way to Scotland, Ireland, and Wales, where they set up fish and chip shops of their own. There is this whole legend about the first fish and chip shop in Ireland and and that it came about when one uh, Giuseppe Carvey accidentally disembarked from a ship headed to America in County Cork, whereupon, I guess he figured, like, well, heck, I'm here now, and (laughs) walked all the way to Dublin and (laughs) settled there and started selling fish and chips from a handcart outside of pubs, Um, and that he then eventually opened a storefront on what's now uh, Piers Street, and their trademark phrase, um, uno de queista, Una di Kayla, uh, meaning uh, one of this, one of the other, um, morphed into the Dublin nickname for the dish, one and one. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> By 1910, there were 25,000 fish and chip shops around the UK. By 1913, um, delegates from a number of local fish frying organizations got together to form a National Federation of Fish Friars Associations. Um, <laughs> these local groups had been getting together for, for a couple decades to help each other protect uh, trade interests. Um, as a national organization, they, they work with the government to preserve supplies and prices thereof. During World War I, uh, then-Prime Minister Lloyd George and his war cabinet made sure that the ingredients for fish and chips stayed off of rations lists because they, they figured that the industrial workers that they needed making their munitions and then the families of those who were off-serving would be better off emotionally and nutritionally if they could still access fish and chips. Mm -hmm. By the 1920s and 30s, the dish was hugely popular, so much so in 1931, one restaurant in England had to hire a doorman to control the queue, which is doubly funny (laughs) to me considering how my British friends feel about queuing. By 1927, peak fish and chips, there were 35,000 shops. Most industrial towns had one on every street. Wow. During that time, two-thirds of the fresh catch in Britain was destined for fish and chips. My goodness. In also, in a, in a great reversal of cause and effect, the demand for fish was such that, that more railways were developed um, and that fishing ports were industrialized. So all of the industrial revolution stuff that led to The Mm -hmm. dish being a thing, then created need for more industrial revolution. 
the power of fish and chips. <laughs> it is. It's mighty. Mm-hmm. It also didn't get hit by rationing during World War II, making it incredibly valuable for feeding families. However, the lines for places selling the meal were often hours long. Ooh. And they didn't always have fish, so when news got out that a restaurant did have fish, people flocked to that establishment. When Brian's Fish and Chip Shop in Leeds ran low on fish, they started selling homemade fish cakes instead, and it came with this warning. Patrons, we do not recommend the use of vinegar with these fish cakes. <laughs> wow. Okay. I don't know what that... Okay. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate any kind of food warnings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Multiple outlets have written about the power of fish and chips as a morale boost during the World Wars. In George Orwell's 1937 work, The Road to Wigan Pier, which I read in college, don't remember very much, but I read it, uh, he claimed that the availability of fish and chips kept people decently happy and, quote, averted revolution. Who? Mm-hmm. Frederick Lord Woolton, the wartime food minister, gave the A-OK for mobile fryers available for people being evacuated. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dish also did help with the war effort in another way. Um, people who had been working in the deep-sea trawling industry were especially recruited into the Navy. Huh. Mm-hmm. And supposedly, one of the ways that British troops identified each other during the, the, the harrowing D-Day battle was by calling out fish and waiting for the appropriate response being, of course, chips. Wow. That's a more interesting version of Marco Polo. Like, maybe I'm going to adopt this. <laughs> oh, actually, I like I like that. Like in a busy store or something. Yeah. Yeah, if you're trying to find your friend, like fish, chips. It also sounds like it could be a buddy comedy, fish and chips. Yeah. Somebody needs to get on that. <laughs> <laughs> we are the music makers and we, we are the dreamers of the dreams. We are. We That's can do true. this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chain Henry Ramsden celebrated their 21st anniversary in 1952 by serving a record-breaking 10,000 plates of fish and chips at their original price. Oh. Not the record nowadays, though. Lots hmm. of people came in for that record. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, in 1976, the aforementioned National Federation of Fish Friars opened its training academy. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Huh. Uh, in 2002, brief science note, um, okay, researchers working in genetics named this new gene imaging technology fish and chips. And I don't understand it super well, but, but like very, very basically. Um, fish stands for fluorescence in situ hybridization, which is it, – it's a way of lighting up genes as they activate within a cell nucleus, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, gene chips, meanwhile, are an older technology – their, uh, their whole arrays of genetic material uh, arranged either on, on a glass slide or coded, like, representationally onto a microchip so that you can study the whole array at once. Um, so fish and chips was meant to provide a way of studying this wide array of genes within a cell nucleus. Um, and the name is catchy. I thought yeah. that was super cute. Yeah, that's really, really cute. <laughs> Um, in the first decade of the 21st century, it, it became sort of a popular thing to collect used vegetable-based cooking oil from fry shops to be filtered and sold as biodiesel fuel for cars. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, one Panikos Panaye published the book, Fish and Chips, A History, in 2014. Like Hogwarts, a history. But yeah. with fish and chips. But with fish and chips. That's cool. <laughs> um, and... Oh, ending on a sad note, unfortunately, climate change is deeply impacting the fishing industry. Um, oxygen levels in the oceans are, are dropping as temperatures rise because warmer water cannot hold as much oxygen as colder water. And populations of, like, perhaps especially large cold water fish like haddock and cod 
could shrink by a, a quarter in the next 30 years. And that's like the best case scenario. Um, the worst case being extinct, extinction. So, <sighs> oh. yeah, so prices are only going to go up. Yeah. And hopefully, um, I don't know, hopefully like impossible or beyond will come up <laughs> with, with, a, the fish and chips. with a with a fish alternative. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I have an embarrassing note that I'll share with everybody. Okay. Um, so I, whenever I'm feeling a little down, I watch the movie How to Train Your Dragon. Okay. And I watched it over and over again recently. And I was kind of in a weird mind state. My friend was quizzing me because she was so surprised to know this about me because uh-huh. I kind of keep it hidden. Sure. And she was like, do you know what type of dragon that is? I'm like, of course I do. And I tell her what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to, I made the Hiccups costume as the main character for DragonCon. And his his name, his full name, which she asked me, is Hiccup Horrendous Haddock III. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my embarrassing geek knowledge of the day. Aww. That I will share with you. <laughs> I- <laughs> She still randomly asked me, like, what do you know about this jacket? I'm like, oh, let me tell oh, you. Oh, hold on. Do you know about the economy of Burke? Oh, yeah, I do. How much time do you have? <laughs> exactly. We'll get some fish and chips and we'll talk it over. Yeah. Huh? Well, yeah. That's, that, that's great. No, I, hey, I support I support all, all of your nerddom. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. <laughs> well, I guess on that, like, weird, like, nerd bookend. <laughs> yeah. We start with a nerd bookend. We did it on either side. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a delicious nerd sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, that, that's about what we have to say about fish and chips. We do have a little bit more for you. Um, but first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. 
I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Listener Mail. I thought a British accent would be too grating for the... Oh. That that was much less grating. (laughs) (laughs) At least we... We've we've stopped getting hate mail about our Listener Mail songs. People have had to hold... They had to embrace it. It's it's either that or just jettison from (laughs) the feed. Yes. So those of you who are still with us, thank you for yes. putting up with us. Also, you know, if you ever have any suggestions for listener mail or you want to write like a little jingle yourself. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, stuff you should know does stuff like that. Sure. So yeah, you we can would, get in on this game. We would love to butcher some nice thing that you write. <laughs> we'll happily do that for you <laughs> at no charge, no additional cost <laughs> to this free podcast. <laughs> Anyway, we do have some listener mails. Yes. People who have stuck with us. Katie wrote, big fan of the show, but first time writing in. Oh, thank you. I was particularly inspired by your Pete's episode and wanted to share a story with you. I am from Pennsylvania originally. Don't get me started on our obsession with pretzels, <laughs> but am currently teaching elementary school in the UK. Ah. I often use food as examples of math concepts, and admittedly, this does tend to revolve around how much I love pizza. Well... Fast forward to the end of the year. Some of the children brought in chocolates, cards, or flowers as an end-of-the-year gift, except one. One child proudly walked into her classroom with the largest pizza she could find as a thank-you gift with strict instructions that it was just for me (laughs) and I wasn't allowed to share. (laughs) I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but that certainly was the most delicious gift I received. (laughs) My admittedly selfish recommendation for the podcast would be visit Amelia Island, Florida for the annual shrimp festival in May. Oh, man. Well, definitely adding that to our list. Oh, I'm in. I could put some hurting on a shrimp festival. (laughs) I've never been to a shrimp festival, and I think it's time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The time is now, or May, as the case may be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, uh, Melissa wrote, I really loved your episode on boiled peanuts. I grew up an hour north of Green Bay, Wisconsin, and only ate peanuts roasted on top of white cake with white fluffy frosting. Way better than sprinkles. I've never had this. This sounds amazing. It does. Anyway, uh, the only thing I seem to love more than peanut cake is edamame. Several years ago, I started getting sick and fatigued all the time. After a discussion with my doctor, I went through allergy testing, and I tested positive for a soy allergy. No more edamame. I was expressing my sadness to my husband's stepmom, Marty, one day, and she suggested I substitute boiled peanuts. My husband grew up in New Orleans with his mom. However, his father lived in South Georgia. Almost three weeks later, four giant sacks of green peanuts were delivered to our house. I FaceTime called Marty every other night for weeks as we tried different spice combinations and worked out a process for making the best boiled peanuts. We finally decided on an eight or so hours overnight in the crock pot, uh, more or less depending on how dry your peanuts are, and we always season with crab boil. We tried every crab boil under the sun, and they are all great. I personally love half a bag of Zatarain's dry whole spice crab and crawfish boil with one cap of Zatarain's liquid crab boil, a lemon wedge, and some fresh garlic. My husband really loves day after a crawfish boil peanuts. Um, I save some of the pot liquor to boil the peanuts. Mm. 
We continued to call each other every Thursday for the next eight years. As a result, Jay also started talking to his dad every week. Jay's dad left when he was young, and until Marty and her peanuts, their relationship was rocky and stressed. Eventually, Jay's dad, a truck driver, got a regular run from Jacksonville to Denver, and every time he came to town, I got a new bag of peanuts, and he got two big jars of a new recipe for Marty to critique. Marty passed away suddenly last year. I thank the cosmos every day that she sent those peanuts. She became my best friend, and Jason got his dad back. I now eat a bowl of boiled peanuts every Thursday while Jason talks to his dad. Oh, that is such a lovely story. Thank you so much for sharing it. Yeah. Uh, It's the power of food. It is. It is. It's, man, it it is delicious and emotionally nutritious. It is. Yeah. That's lovely, Lauren. Oh. And those letters are both lovely. So thanks for sending them. Oh, my gosh, yes. And if you would like to email us, you can. We're looking forward to those listener mail (laughs) jingles you're going to (laughs) send. Um, you can email us at lo at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at SaverPod. We do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.